Welcome to HIV Unmuted, the IAS International AIDS Society's podcast. I'm your host, Femi O'Kay. This special episode marks World AIDS Day, which takes place on December the 1st every year since 1988. It is a day when we remember all those we have lost, reflect on how far we have come, and rally together to strengthen our resolve in the HIV response. This is World AIDS Day, and it has been marked by special events to draw more attention to AIDS. The World Health Organization set aside this day to focus on what is being done to fight this disease and the problems. If we are to ever really address the persisting inequalities in the HIV response, inequalities that drive the HIV pandemic, inequalities that affect the most marginalised and the most vulnerable, we must put people first. The latest UN AIDS data from 2021 shows our approach must change, with 70% of new HIV acquisitions globally occurring among key populations and their sexual partners. These are gay men and other men who have sex with men, people who inject drugs, sex workers and their clients, and trans people. At a time when we have colliding pandemics, a climate crisis, rising costs of fuel and food prices globally, how do we put people first in the face of these competing priorities? We speak to Peter Sands, Executive Director of the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, who tells us why we can't afford not to put people first in response to pandemics now and pandemics of the future. We also speak to Gaston Devisic and his healthcare provider, Romina Mawas, who are living proof that you can put people first in the healthcare system and in the face of stigma and discrimination. But first, we speak to Yvette Raphael from South Africa. Yvette is Executive Director of Advocates for the Prevention of HIV in Africa, who calls on the scientific community to put people first in HIV research. Yvette shares with us how important World AIDS Day is to her personally. In 2001, when I was diagnosed with HIV, uh, I just found that I couldn't find anybody like myself around me who, can, who I can talk to, who is openly living with HIV. Doing work on World AIDS Day is very, very important for me because my own disclosure or advocacy journey started when I stood up in front of my colleagues, 80 in a boardroom, supposed to be celebrating World AIDS Day. It was also kind of tongue-in-cheek because at that time there was a lot of denialism. There was an almost no help for people living with HIV. And our president didn't believe in it. And I, I, I needed to, to express myself. I just had a baby the previous year, so I needed to be sure that I'm not going to lose my job. Yvette has come a long way since then and now works on person-centered care. We asked what that means to her. For me, it's more about an approach where the person is supported and also when you lead your own, how your treatment is going and how you want to be treated. At the time, the doctor really, really looked at my situation. He also advised me around the best treatment. He also spoke to me about how I should let the medication fit into my lifestyle. I was 25 at the time, so I was very young, and he actually 
asked me how this would fit, what this every 12 hours would mean for me. Would I be awake? Would I be out partying? Would I be at home? Would I be working? And we made that decision together. Yvette now advocates for practical ways to put people first to improve research trials. We don't look around the, uh, the structural issues that affects this person. Putting a person first is asking what works for them and actually taking them through the journey as you start conceptualization of any study and including them at any process. If a, a, a trial participant tells you, you making us come to the trial site to get an injection at five o'clock, but meantime, my taxi only starts at four o'clock or at four o'clock and it's a long drive. How do we listen as researchers? It goes beyond getting good data. Putting people first requires a much more holistic approach. We all know what community engagement is about. It's more than just a tick box or a nice to have, or it has to stem from a mutual respect and acknowledgement of the other person. I think most of the time, the researchers are from the North and they very, uh, work very little with researchers in the communities. And that is where the problem lies. So when the communities express themselves, their, their inputs are not really acknowledged. Yvette has a solution for how we address this issue. We need to start looking at how do we ensure the researchers look like the trial participants, right? The same colour, the same background from Africa. But we also need to be mindful of the reality of why people participate in research trials. We must get over the, this notion that people participate in trials because they want to change the world. That is cannot be the reality where there's so much unemployment, so much poverty in South Africa. We need to be fair and say people are looking at times looking at this research as a way of making a living. Putting people first needs to be an approach, not just a tick box exercise. Obviously the design with the ultimate aim in mind should be, it should be people-centered. We need to consider from the beginning the programmatic hurdles that will need to be overcome when we do studies, especially around global access, pricing, manufacturing, and the role of lower and middle income countries. We cannot start only start worrying about price when you've already done the research on Africans. Now you're sitting with an injection that costs my whole year's groceries for me to prevent HIV and you sitting with that injection. And it's not just scientific research where we need to put people first. It needs to be across the whole HIV response, starting with what is funded and where that money goes. Who better to speak to than Peter Sands, executive director of one of the largest funding mechanisms in public health, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria. Peter, this World AIDS Day is all about putting people first. Could you tell us what it means to put people first at the Global Fund? Well, I think the ultimate metric of any health intervention is what it means for people. I'll use one country as an example, Malawi. If we go back to 2000, life expectancy in Malawi was 46. 
Roll the clock forward to 2019, and life expectancy is in Malawi was 65. So in a 19-year period, life expectancy increased by 19 years. Now, at one level, that simply means a lot of lives have been saved. But actually, it's more fundamental than that. A society where people can expect to live to 65 is a very different society from one in which you can only expect to live to 46. For one thing, you have grandparents and two-thirds of that extraordinary increase in life expectancy in Malawi was due to the reduction in mortality of HIV, TB, and malaria. So what we're doing is transformational. We're saving lives, but we're also changing the very nature of the societies that people live in. That is an extraordinarily exciting thing. These are impressive achievements. Could you tell us a little more about how people and communities are put at the center of the Global Fund strategy? The commitment to putting people at the center of the strategy has a number of different dimensions. I think the first is, to, is around people-centered services. We need to deliver healthcare services in the way that it makes sense for individuals at the time it makes sense. A second aspect of putting people and communities at the center revolves around ensuring that key populations most affected by HIV AIDS have a stronger role and a stronger voice, that they shape, design, and deliver the services to protect and support them. And then a third aspect that I think is also really critical is around addressing the inequities, the human rights barriers, the gender inequalities that actually get in the way of fighting all three of the diseases, AIDS, TB, and malaria. If turning up at a clinic is likely to get you arrested, you're not gonna turn up at a clinic. Unless we go beyond the purely biomedical and address the structural issues that make people and communities more vulnerable to disease, we're not gonna win. You talk about AIDS, TB, and malaria. The Global Fund has been responding to all three for some years and also pivoted to working on the COVID-19 response. In light of competing priorities and limited resources, what does an equal person-centered response to HIV and other pandemics look like? But there's also a deeper question about the equity with which we respond to pandemics. We use the language of pandemic for COVID-19. We actually don't tend to use the language of pandemic so much for AIDS, TB, or malaria. We tend to talk about ending the epidemics of HIV, TB, and malaria. And what is going on there, frankly, is that we use the language of pandemic when the people living in rich countries are at risk. And when they become less at risk, we tend to start talking about endemic or epidemic disease. It's just a pandemic of the poor. You've talked about the inequities that drive pandemics. What is the Global Fund doing to address these inequities and what you call pandemics of the poor? The whole point of the Global Fund was to ensure places which couldn't afford the newest tools, the newest drugs, get that access. 
and that spirit still drives the way we approach car allocation model. So we give most money to places with the highest burden of disease and the least ability to fund the response themselves. So what do you want to see for the future of the HIV response? I want to be in a position where we actually don't really need a global fund because that would be an extraordinary place to have got to. We speak to our next guests, Gaston and Romina from Argentina, who show us how to put people first and deliver quality healthcare. Romina received the IAS Me and My Healthcare Provider Award, created to recognize all those healthcare providers around the world who deliver quality care to key populations in the face of stigma and discrimination. Gaston nominated Romina for the award. Gaston, can you tell us about the first time you and Romina met? We didn't have a great start. When we met, I was in complete denial about my diagnosis and I was attempting to have a third, perhaps fourth confirmation test because I was certain that something else had been wrong with me and was causing my HIV test to come out positive. What made you go back? What did she do that was different from your previous experiences? I progressively transitioned to find an ally in her rather than an enemy. I cannot really pinpoint a moment in time in which we became friendly, but appointments started to last longer, decision-making started to get more horizontal, and advocacy became a welcome topic in conversation. If there's something that she wants to perhaps propose to me, she doesn't just like impose it. What did it feel like to have someone center treatment and care around your needs? Well, it made me feel seen and taken into consideration. People want to feel understood, especially when they're dealing with something like HIV. We rightfully have a lot of questions and we end up receiving care that can be often dehumanizing. Finding a doctor that responds to what you need is truly a breath of fresh air. It's like finally someone's on your side. Romina, when you give care, how do you put people first despite stigma and discrimination? First, I acknowledge that stigma and discrimination, it harm their health and also it's a barrier for using health and other essential services. The stigma and discrimination people encounter at clinics and hospitals sometimes tend to reflect general attitudes in society. So when I give care, I try to have an empathic listening during the interview, uh, using a person-centered uh, counseling style that includes collaboration, uh, patient autonomy, and shared decision-making. Does the healthcare system you work in support your efforts? In my country, it's difficult. Physicians rarely receive training on patient-centered communication techniques after medical school. Um, typically, we must develop communication skills on our own. In the healthcare system, um, we have less and less time to devote to our training and the medical interview, sometimes with many administrative requirements and with poor salaries. And so doctors run with between two or three jobs to obtain a living wage. So nowadays, I think it's uh, difficult to have this approach. Gaston, why is it so important for healthcare systems to put people first? In reality, our health outcomes are not defined by our willpower alone. 
but with the chance of overcoming stigma and inequalities in health and development as well. Science has generated a lot of innovation in the last 40 years. Uh, however, these are not truths that apply equally to everyone, and the best science in the world cannot compete with the debilitating effects of poor healthcare systems and poor service provision. Romina, what advice would you give to other healthcare providers who would like to put people first, like you did? Learn how to ask open-ended questions, supporting optimism, listening reflectively, and also to unlearn behaviors and strategies such as persuading or directing or confronting. We, we must open our mind and stigma and discrimination is intersectional. You, they, they don't receive stigma and discrimination only because the HIV status. It's because uh, their age, their gender, their uh, sexual identity. We must work together and I have so much to learn from my patients. As you've heard from our guests, if people don't start coming first in every aspect of the HIV response, the inequalities driving the HIV pandemic will only intensify. Vive Healthcare's work with communities most affected strives to put people first in the HIV response. We won't stop until ambition becomes success. And the impossible becomes achievable. Until our research offers more ways to treat, prevent, and hopefully one day cure HIV. Because, because we, we are Vive Healthcare. Here until HIV and AIDS are not. This World AIDS Day, we ask you to examine how well your strategies and programmes put people living with and affected by HIV first at all stages of your work. You cannot do research without putting the people that you're going to say you're doing research on first. In policies, in healthcare, in scientific research, in language, in engaging communities, it's clear. We must put people first if we are to ever really address the persisting inequalities in the HIV response. I'm Femi O.K. for the IAS, International AIDS Society's podcast, HIV Unmuted. And you can't keep us quiet.